Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Bonavis Hicks. And Father, first off, I'd like to thank you for making time for us doing this cast as well as the one next week where we're able to record both of them and mix our, our incredibly crazy schedules. And one of the things that's going to be filling up our, our time and, and being of great importance is the March for Life here over the weekend on Friday. And I figured with it coming up, this would be a, a good opportunity to talk about it and and the importance there of it and, and the topic of life and how integral it is to our faith. And with this being a podcast about coming closer to Christ, you know, obviously celebrating life is a big part of that. So it's obviously a broad topic. And Father, I wanted to see if you have any starting points to guide us in the correct direction. Thanks, Joe. The March for Life is a wonderful thing to talk about. It has several facets to it, but it was originated from the Supreme Court decision Roe v. Wade in uh, 1973, 72, 73, uh, and which took took place on January 22nd. And since then, people who want to fight for the lives of uh, pre-born children as well as uh, prevent the kind of pain that it causes to their mothers and fathers expressed their rejection of that decision and their support for life and, and exclusion of abortion as a legitimate possibility by gathering together in Washington marching from uh, the the lawn to the Supreme Court building, and also meeting with congressmen and senators as part of that process. So what began with a small group 40 years ago, 45 years ago, has become quite a sizable group from quite a distance that gathers uh, every year around January 22nd on the date if possible, but sometimes uh, there are things that prevent that, in order to, again, express that peaceful uh, protest against abortion, against the right of anybody to end a human life prematurely. And it's become a, I've, I've attended every year for the last 20 years, and uh, I've, I've attended also a, a vigil that developed about the same time, specifically by the Catholic Church, where not only did people gather during the day to make that political protest, which will take place on Friday, January uh, 19th this year, mm-hmm. uh, but or January 18th this year, but also uh, a prayer vigil, because we realize that the political expression is necessary and is important, and at the same time, what we really need is prayer, prayer to change hearts prayer to call down the mercy of God on on those who uh, don't see this the same way that we do. Uh, We can presume that people are acting out of good intentions. I think there may be uh, some some other undertones. The enemy certainly has his hand in some of this, but I think there are a lot of well-intentioned people, and they don't see things the same way. We can change their mind through rational argument, through personal witness, but also through prayer. Conversion happens through prayer. We can think of St. Paul as a clear example of that. Nobody convinced him. God intervened, and surely people were praying for him. And so 
that prayer vigil began about the same time, and the prayer vigil starts with a vigil mass celebrated in the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., and it is attended by 10,000 people, 50 bishops, 300 priests, 200 deacons, 200 seminarians. It is a sight to behold. The entrance procession itself lasts a half an hour. Incredible witness. And it's broadcast on all the media. We broadcast it on We Are One Body Radio. We'll broadcast it live at 5.30. And also on EWTN, if you want the visual, I think you can live stream at different places. But the Mass itself is a tremendous witness. Really a, a great joy to be gathered together with so many fervent believers. And there are members of the Orthodox Church who are there present, members of the Protestant churches to express their solidarity and to unite in prayer and uh, then just so many fervent Catholics. So that starts a vigil which then lasts all night. In the Basilica, they have the Blessed Sacrament exposed in different seminaries animate holy hours throughout the hours of the night. So literally from about 9 p.m. when the vigil mass ends all the way until about 7 a.m. when the um, mass to conclude the vigil will take place. There's prayer happening all night in the in the basilica. It's just a beautiful opportunity to open our hearts to the Lord, to call out to Him, and to ask for His intervention in this all important aspect of our of our faith and of the life of our nation. And so, then uh, there are some different transitions that take place. Some people come in only for the day, and there are a lot of masses that take place the morning of the march. Again, with the same spirit. We need the political protest. We need to have the march. We need to connect with congressmen and senators. We need to have a visible presence in front of the Supreme Court building. We need to peacefully express our, our through our rights, our constitutional rights, our belief, which is different than the law of this nation. But mm-hmm. uh, in addition to that, a lot of masses are celebrated that same morning. There'll be 20,000, 30,000 young people in the Verizon Center, another 10,000 young people in the Armory, And churches all over D.C., as well as the National Shrine, will have mass after mass, great gatherings, pilgrimages from all the way in Florida, from Arkansas, from Minnesota, from just all over the country will come in, and uh, people come from all over the place to give an incredible witness. And it becomes just a a beautiful experience. There are people that I see literally only every year at the March for Life, Mm -hmm. and uh, these kinds of reunions and witnesses that take place as we share our faith with each other and build each other up and just rejoice that, that the Lord has brought us together in support of all human life from conception to natural death. And it's a, it's a great cause that, uh, that, we, that we stand up for and that we make pilgrimage for. And actually as a unique dimension this year, 2018, Pope Francis has granted a plenary indulgence for attending the March for Life, for making this pilgrimage. So he's really given the whole uh, support of the church, we could say, and the, and it's helped us understand that this is not just uh, something that's a nice political expression, but it really is a spiritual pilgrimage that can do good for ourselves and for others spiritually as well. What does that mean, the indulgence? A, pl- a plenary indulgence means that under certain conditions, by carrying out some spiritual practice, together under the the normal conditions of going to confession within a month uh, or 
and also receiving Holy Communion that day and prayers for the Holy Father that with a total detachment from sin a soul is released from purgatory or we can offer it for ourselves for the, the sanctification of our own souls so we could think of it as uh, yeah, helping helping those who have gone before us, helping souls in purgatory to be to be freed. Just uh, the way that I think of it is that it's a sign that it's a significant spiritual practice that has a spiritual benefit for ourselves or for whoever we offer to. And, and that's tremendous. Um, yeah, to to your point um, of how many people go to this, uh, I I've gone many many times don't know the exact number i do know there's a couple years that i have missed so i can't say it's ever been since blank but one of the things that struck me out is how many different states you see there because especially the day of the march a lot of people come in their big lensner bus group and a lot of them wear all the same color t-shirts or something so you can really identify the group some people have banners or whatnot and you get to see how where they're from and, you know, every state that touches the Atlantic I've seen last year, um, as well as a whole bunch of the ones in the Midwest. And it's just remarkable about the type of um, just energy and, and economic expense to get there to be seen, to be able to, to put your voice forward for, for this great cause. And uh, it, it really is. It is something that that has gotten to a whole lot of people and, and they're willing to show both economically and physically how to get there and, and, and make it a big deal um, for each and every one of them. Yeah, I think the uh, number that are, are often is often counted there, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 people come regularly to be part of the March for Life. I mean, it is just an incredible witness, especially to be sustained year after year. Mm -hmm. Maybe for a big cause, maybe on a one-time occasion, but as an annual event and really very loosely organized in the sense that nobody's out there beating the bushes telling everybody to go to the March for Life. It's just a very distributed experience. Those who have gone want to go back and, and tell their friends and a lot of parishes, a lot of dioceses, college campuses, a lot of different groups see it as an opportunity for a pilgrimage to stand up for something that is vital in our nation. Because if we don't have babies, we don't have a future. Oh, yeah. Mother, Mother Teresa had very strong statements to say about abortion. We like to point to certain aspects of Mother Teresa, but conveniently ignore other ones. And she said that, that uh, there is nothing more selfish than killing a child so that you can live as you please. And she said that a, a nation that kills its own children is a nation without hope. And uh, so the, uh, when she had a chance to speak at the presidential prayer breakfast, she really focused her attention on eliminating abortion. She did that in front of President Clinton. Obama, or President Bill Clinton, rather, and, uh, and spoke very strongly about ending abortion, that that is the greatest cause of the, the downfall of America. And so, anyway, it is, uh, it is such a crucial issue and so important for us to witness to, and we see the, the lack of centralization in the March for Life that indicates this is an issue that's on a lot of hearts. It's not one 
Pied Piper who's leading everybody in this direction. This is really something that's a distributed desire and conviction among hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, it, it really is a bonding experience um, and something that that I it, it's just kind of hard to describe without having gone to it. There's just an energy going in there, even though normally it's very cold in D.C., um, on the particular day being in the middle of January, um, at least from my vivid memories. But there's just something very bonding, having everyone there and for the same purpose in a way that you really don't get anywhere else. Um, I guess in, in, a, in a grand sense, that might be the goal of making Mass every Sunday. But in a reality sense, you know, you're not going to get a quarter of a million people to your local church um, the way that you do for the march, especially as explicitly as this is. You people see carrying around the Pieta, you know, carrying around um, statues of Mary and, and just a very vivid outpouring of, of this is why we're doing it. this is why life is important. And I think that there's something a lot to it. And uh, you brought up Mother Teresa there about how killing, uh, you know, killing your own is is about as bad as you can be. And one of the things that I thought pointing out that might make sense is if you look back at your life in general, most of the things that you regret are things you opted not to do. And. I couldn't imagine a thing that would give you bigger regret than that. Um, just from a very practical standpoint, um, you know, aside from, barring the fact that you're murdering, um, just from the fact that you're killing off what aspect of your life could have been, it's just something that I guess is foreign to my thought process about how that could even be 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 happening, be be a decision worth happening. Well, I've learned, uh, Joe, to be very compassionate, and uh, I want to gently restate what you said a, a few moments ago, killing your own, how bad can you be, and recognize that those who probably uh, punish themselves the most are the mothers who had abortions. Uh, not because they were bad, not because they're evil, although they've told themselves that so many times, that some of them suffer in terrible ways. It's, uh, it's a leading cause of uh, eating disorders, of suicide, of, um, of, of repeat abortions, which lead to greater depression. And so I've, I've learned to develop a lot of compassions for post-abortive women. We, and the church has a lot of outreaches for them. Rachel's Vineyard and Project Rachel being very widespread and very powerful ministries to help the women especially who have had abortions to be reconciled with what they've done, to come to a relationship with their baby and to really change their hearts and find hope, which is so powerful. And, and certainly as a priest, I've heard the confessions of a number of women who have had abortions and they punish themselves a lot more than we ever could a lot, a lot of times. And so I am very, very sensitive to the women especially, but the, the culture that promotes it and the people that push it and the, with again, I presume I like to give the benefit of the doubt and presume a lack of reflection or some other well-intentioned efforts. I mean, the, 
people look at suffering children and think it would be better to have never been born than to go through the suffering that this child goes through in the inner city or they go through from being abandoned or whatever it is. Uh, but Mother Teresa, when she talked so strongly about how evil abortion is in itself, she didn't say that people who have abortions are evil. That's an important distinction, but abortion itself is, is very evil. And at the same time, she always talked about adoption, and that's something that she did in India. She opened orphanages, and she would always say when she talked, I'm ready to adopt your children. Give me your children. I'll take any children that you don't want. Don't kill them. Give them to me. Your children are precious. God made these children. And so she always focused on the positive dimension and also the, the merciful approach of a solution to abortion, not simply condemning abortion and abortionists, but rather also providing the alternative. And the church has been very vigorous about that. I'm always so happy to be able to say with confidence, whatever you need, there's a, a, there, there's a place that will provide it. You need diapers, you need counseling, you need a place to live, you need a job, you need money, you need a, a, a place to, for your baby, you need a, a, a place for adoption. Whatever you need, it exists. The church has done a tremendous job of supporting and fostering those ministries to make it possible for people to choose life, even when there are things that make it very overwhelming to do so. The idea of having conceived a child and being faced with that reality can be overwhelming to someone who that wasn't anywhere on their horizon. Mm -hmm. Now we should say, why were you having sex if you weren't thinking about babies? Well, that's the reality of where our culture is. Yeah. And the fact is that many people are doing that having sex and not thinking about babies. And then when a baby enters into the picture, when a mother gets pregnant, it becomes an overwhelming reality. And then the pressures from families, from boyfriends, from, from friends, from our, our own dreams and, and, uh, and fears, tremendous pressures. So it is, it's such a blessing, as Mother Teresa expressed it, and, and as our, our churches work very hard to do, pro-life organizations have worked very hard to do, Whatever you need, it's available. There's another option. You don't need to be crushed by the decision to welcome a child into the world. You can be supportive in keeping your child or in giving up your child for adoption. There are people who will help you. Yeah, and, and I think to, uh, to back to a series of casts that we did about uh, Humana Vitae, about how saying that this was going to happen had you pushed the birth control button. And in the end, abortion's kind of the logical conclusion, and that's why the church is against the birth control and the other forms of contraception. Because if you put a stop in the beginning, you obviously won't have an abortion at the end. But also, it's a mindset shift that okay, this is important, and this is it's ultimately all through the vice of life. And through the Humana Vitae version, we went through a lot of other deeper dives into it about the benefits for women that have been taken away since um, this culture has really taken over and so on and so forth. And in fact, actually, in American culture, you're kind of seeing uprising a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, you're, 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 you're seeing that that is the faith structure that that can be the answer to get out of this this problem that we're having nationwide. And I know that last year was the first year that a member from the executive branch was there because the vice president was there. 
Um, in all the years since the seventies, that was the first, first vice president to, uh, to ever be a part of it. So I think that that's something that's very encouraging because as great and important as it is to, to focus on this event, sometimes you'll see people there have this feeling of, well, what difference did it really make? And father, I'd like to see if you can give us some time to, to tell people about the importance of it and, and the, the true results that are happening even if it doesn't mean a bill got passed tomorrow. It's just that there are steps being made, and I just wanted to see if you can enlighten us upon them. Yeah, I think it's important to see the many layers at which we address this, uh, this problem in our nation, because as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, there's a a problem of understanding. There are good, well-intentioned people who have convinced themselves that a baby in the womb is not a human being, is not a child, that somehow it's a pre-human being. So there's an educational piece that's there. There's uh, there are people who believe that uh, it's a child but doesn't have any rights. That you can kill your child, and some philosophers have even proposed to age two or three you can kill your child, right? We're mm-hmm. outraged by that, but it's, uh, it's all a continuum. So there, are, you know, there is a, an educational and apologetic piece to that. There's a spiritual battle that's in play, and so we need the prayer because the enemy certainly likes it when the image of God is destroyed in its most vulnerable form. So the enemy has his hands all over this and is, is working actively to try and promote abortion. Uh, there is actually a satanic piece of it. Abortion is used by Satanists as a ritual sacrifice. It's uh, part of part of what they do. Uh, <laughs> so that whole spiritual battle is a critical piece of it. There's uh, the the dimension of providing alternatives that I was just speaking about, and so that's an important part of it. We've built up a lot in in all of those dimensions, and then there is the political process. We need both people who will pass laws as well as judges who will interpret those laws in a way that's constitutional and and recognizes the right to life of every human being from the point of conception. And so that's a juridical and uh, political battle as well. Um, Some people need to be shocked into awareness, and some of the graphic images are, are helpful for that. Mm-hmm. But but there are all these different pieces of the puzzle that all have to be carried out at the same time. And so um, in terms of our own participation, I think it's important to ask ourselves, where do I fit into that? What's the, what's the contribution that I can make to this whole process? We need people to call congressmen. We need people to pay attention to legislation. We need people to uh, continue to promote this in whatever sphere, through media, through uh, billboards, and through personal conversation, uh, we need the educational piece. We need the political piece. So anyway, just to say, there are, there are a lot of different pieces in play. Um, there have been developments. There are some laws that have passed that have restricted abortions. The, the heartbeat bill, which has been passed in a number of states, which says that it's, uh, I'm sorry, the pain bill, which has been passed, that says once the child is able to feel pain, you can't have an abortion. 
One could argue that's as early as eight weeks, but nobody disputes that at 20 weeks, a child feels pain in the womb. Mm -hmm. So that's restricted abortion to pre-20 weeks, which is a, a huge win. The elimination of partial birth abortion has been passed. The, uh, the Mexico City policy, which funds abortions internationally, has been stopped by executive order by President Trump, as have the previous Republican president stopped that. Um, there are other bills that are being supported and passed that require parental consent, that require uh, an ultrasound, that uh, require certain warnings being given. So a lot of different aspects at the state level uh, to pass legislation, and then you know many of those get fought out in courts. And um, so we've had we've, we've certainly had quite a bit of progress in the last 40 years. But again, simply passing a law and making it illegal doesn't solve the the deeper problem that ideally you'd want nobody to want to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. That's the real goal. If nobody wants one, then it goes away. And so why are people still wanting this? Why is this still an option? Well, there's a need for conversion and education in that as well. Yeah, that was one of the driving forces to get this cast going. Um, really, when it's all said and done, was the the fact that, at least in my life, you really can't go to church every week and then come out of it thinking that abortion's a good idea. Um, just not going to happen. So... That's uh, that's that's a big part of this, I suppose. So, so with that being said, um, there's there, there's obviously a, a whole lot lot to this. You had brought up the, the the graphic images there, and and they've been there for a while, and and one of the things that always struck me, and you know, they all have their different slogans. But one of them that, that stuck with me was this was been the world's largest self-indicted genocide. And they went through the math of it and, you know, basically by choice, this has been the world's largest genocide. And that is a tremendous thought if you sit back and think about it. Um, just crazy. Um <laughs> So, um, so with, with that question, uh, what is the the appropriate way to communicate the message to to present it to to the public at large, to people in our family, or just whoever? Sure. Uh, but I think really focusing on the humanity of the baby in the womb is, is the key aspect of thinking about abortion. That when we understand it as the killing of an innocent human being, that it's, it's hard to move around it. There are a lot of subsidiary issues like the impact that it has on women. Post-abortion syndrome is a, is a real serious issue, uh, how a woman feels. 
has had an abortion, and that also affects the father, as it turns out, insofar as he perhaps failed to protect that innocent baby that was his responsibility and has lost uh, his own son or daughter mm-hmm. in the process. Um, so I think just getting people to talk about it, focusing on the humanity of the, of the infant in the womb is, is really the center of the message. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think that deep down everyone really knows it is a human. Uh, you know, you even look at at the actions of, of Planned Parenthood. They'll they'll do the abortion and then they'll sell um, part of it as human genetic material, uh, basically acknowledging that it is a human. It is human in all biology, spiritualness. Um, but they they want to legally operate and be able to to, to sell this this product. Um, so that's, that's just looking at the hypocrisy, um, from one of the leaning people who are doing it. So, uh, just a thought to, to throw out there a little, little tidbit of fat. Um, but father, as as we're concluding our cast here today, um, obviously this being a very big and important topic of life, uh, if you could close us with some final thoughts that would give us good ideas for those who might be listening to this on their way down to the march or, um, or, or watching on TV or, or participate in their own way? Yeah, I just uh, encourage everybody certainly to pray for an end to abortion, uh, to pray for a greater awareness for human life, to look into some of the uh, aspects of uh, abortion in, in your own state, in your own area, what laws are, are in process think about reaching out to congressmen, congresswomen uh, in your own state as well as at a national level. Just try to tune into the issues. There are a lot of uh, great organizations that are promoting the right to life. And again, above all, the thing you can do immediately is to pray and then to educate yourself and then to look into participating politically and, and educating others. Perfect. Perfect. Well, again, I thank you very much for doing this podcast today, Father. Even it's from the airport, making the time for us. We thank you very much for that. I thank everyone out there for listening to the cast. Please help us continue to grow and spread it. Uh, those reviews that you've been leaving on iTunes have been tremendously helpful. It's, it definitely increases our scope and our audience, and we definitely ask you to continue to do that. And if you haven't left a review yet, please do so. And also, please follow us on Twitter at Father and Joe. And give us the retweets whenever we send out um, each next week's episode. So we thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great week, everyone.